Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z. This week, we're doing Qvote on fertility. And today, we're going to look at a number of Qvote relating to uh, the permissibility of procuring a man's semen for testing and then for using in artificial insemination of his wife. In the previous episode, we looked at the use of another man's semen and mostly a non-Jew semen, so therefore there was no issue in procuring that semen. But here we're looking at the husband's semen, and the question is, does this create problems of zera levatala? Uh, along the way, we're going to see two other points. Um, one, a question about do, using this, using the husband's semen to inseminate his wife um, when the wife is in nida. And the second point we're going to see is the question about whether one fulfills the mitzvah of purvu through artificial insemination with the husband's own semen. The first two chuvot that deal with this are in the same volume of those foundational ones that dealt with artificial insemination, volume one of Evan HaEzer, from the same time. One of them is actually is the same chuvot, had two components. We're going to start with Evan Ezer 170, which is from September 1955. And here the issue was about testing the semen, not using it actually to inseminate the wife. They want to examine the semen to determine what problems there might be to see whether they can therefore help in terms of the couple having a child. So Rav Moshe obviously jumps right in to discuss this issue of is it a concern of Zerah Levatala? And uh, he points to a Gemara in Yevamot. The Gemara in Yevamot 76 deals with a case where somebody uh, might be a Krus Shafcha, a Psuadaka, have a genital mutilation that um, would make him not permissible to marry a woman. And the Gemara, in order to determine if one case really was an issue, says, well, we have to see what happens when he ejaculates. And how do they make him ejaculate? So there are two suggestions. One suggestion is, um, what do we do? One answer is you take some nice hot barley bread and you put it by his anus and that will have a, a cause him to ejaculate. I don't know if this has been tried. That's what Rav says on Abai says, You pass before him some beautiful woman's clothing and that'll make him have sexual thoughts and that'll cause him to ejaculate. So so Rav Moshe says, we see from this two very important principles, one that is permissive and one that is restrictive. The permissive is that we are allowed to cause a man to ejaculate, a man is allowed to make himself ejaculate, if it is serving a purpose, and specifically if it's serving the purpose of fertility, right? This Because the idea is zera livatala, that the semen is ejaculated for no purpose. Um, so we could discuss what if the purpose is not fertility related, is that enough of a purpose? And Rav Moshe does discuss that in other to vote. Um, but here, it, it's exactly why semen is supposed to be ejaculated. Ultimately, it is for the purpose of conceiving and fertility. And therefore, Rav Moshe says that was the case over there to allow the man to marry, even though the man might have had other options to marry in ways that would not have been forbidden. So even though that wasn't exactly necessary, nevertheless, it was permitted. And it certainly is permitted in this case where it is to determine the potency of the semen and to help the couple have a child. It is not an issue of zera levatala. So that is important principle number one that we see from that Gemara. No zera levatala concern when it is for the sake of fertility treatments and even for testing the semen. Now, a slight other point that Rav Moshe makes, which is definitely a chiddish, is Rav Moshe says, wait a minute, that might not be zera livatala, but Abaye's suggestion of passing these beautiful women's clothes and making the man have sexual thoughts, isn't there a problem with having illicit sexual thoughts? Like, why isn't that a problem? So Rav Moshe says, you know what? Illicit sexual thoughts are only a problem 
because they will lead to zera levatala. And when it is permissible to extract the semen and it is not for naught, there is not a problem of a man having sexual thoughts that leads to the ejaculation. Now, framing that the here hurim problem, sexual thoughts, is only related to zera, is very important in a different tshuva of Rav Moshe, where he discusses female masturbation, um, where there is no zera concerns. But that's for another time. Now. Once Rav Moshe says that it's permissible, he then pulls back or he puts limits on it. And he says, but here's the thing. Why did the Gemara have these weird options of, you know, this hot bread and passing these clothes in front of this man? Why didn't the Gemara just say, have him masturbate? And Rav Moshe says, since the Gemara didn't say that, it's clear that that is forbidden even when there's no Zerolevatala concern. And he says, that actually is a separate prohibition. That's not about wasting semen, Right. Let's say, for example, somebody masturbates and it doesn't lead to ejaculation. Is that a problem? Rav Moshe says the masturbation problem is not about wasting semen. What is it about? So here's what he says. <laughs> to actually um, stimulate um, oneself with one's hands. <laughs> that is forbidden. <laughs> Why is this? So if Moshe cites that uh, the Gemara in Nida, in a long passage that deals with the issues of masturbation and Zerah Levatala, one drusha that learns it from the verse of Lotin Af, do not commit adultery, that says do not even commit adultery with your hands or your foot or your feet, which presumably means a sexual act with oneself. And Rav Moshe says that itself is an independent iser. It's not clear, you know, the Gemara gives a lot of basis for the prohibition of masturbation. It's not clear that it settles specifically on that. In other contexts, that phrase is used actually for some very completely different, con- for some very different meaning. But Rav Moshe connecting the dots says, aha, I have now discovered that there is a prohibition of masturbation not related to Zerah Levatala, essentially having sex with oneself. You know, that is the problem. Sexual activity, one is, you know, stimulating oneself with one's hands, um, and that is a prohibition independent of Zerah Levatala. It's actually interesting that he does not use that and extend that to the case of female masturbation, as we referenced. But anyway, Rav Moshe therefore says, you are allowed to extract the semen, but you can't do it through masturbation. So how are you going to extract the semen? <laughs> so there are a couple of ways, and Rav Moshe details them. He says, So you can't do it through masturbation, manual stimulation. So what can you do? So Rav Moshe says, Since sex is possible here, you shouldn't do it with the bread way. I don't know why. We'll see in a different way, he says, because we really don't know how to do that in a way that it's effective. And you shouldn't do it by thinking about other women. That's not a nice thing to think about other women with man's married to his wife. Do it through having sex and by putting on a medical condom. He says, Use a condom. And even though using a condom in general is a problem, the problem is related to Zerah Levatala. But here if Moshe says, we've already said there isn't a Zerah Levatala. So as long as we remove the masturbation problem, it is totally permissible. And now if Moshe says something even more shocking... If for some reason the doctors say that a medical condom, you know, which traps the semen, will not get them the sample that they need, you can do coitus interruptus. The man can withdraw in the middle of the act of intercourse and ejaculate 
outside of the woman's body into a jar and use that semen. And as long as it did not come through masturbation, it came through intercourse with one's wife, um, Rav Moshe says that is totally permissible, even though we normally think that that is like the worst type of act in terms of Zerah Levatala. Rav Moshe says, yes, but it's not Zerah Levatala. It is for the sake of fertility. And finally, he says, sometimes they want the semen very fresh and they want it to be done in the doctor's office. So now you have a choice. Do you masturbate in the doctor's office or go in with your wife and do this in the doctor's office? And sometimes they do that. So Rav Moshe says, to have intercourse in the doctor's office and then to collect it from the woman, even if this is something that will be good to test, to test it, who pretzutz gadola? That is breaking bounds of modesty. That people know that a couple is in that room having sex. It's not appropriate to do this. It's not appropriate, but it's not forbidden. So, if it was necessary, Rav Moshe would say technically it's permissible. So here, Rav Moshe is on the one hand really makes a major psak to say it's permissible, it is not a problem of Zerul of Atala, and on the other hand says, but it is a problem to do it through masturbation, and you have to find other means, medical condom, early withdrawal, or um, maybe even if necessary, um, in the doctor's office after intercourse, even though that is obviously something he says that really is breaking norms of modesty. Um, now, I should mention at this point that not everybody agrees to Rav Moshe, and this psak about not allowing masturbation can really become um, a major challenge sometimes, um, both in testing and in procuring the semen. And there are poskim who say that it wasn't used in the Gemara because if it's possible to do it without masturbation, we should do it without masturbation. Masturbation. But at the end of the day, even masturbation is only a problem of zero levatala, and therefore in this context it would be permissible. So there are those who permit it, but the very dominant psak that most people will hear follows Rav Moshe um, and actually says that you have to do it through these other ways, medical condom or the like. Now, one or two other quick points of follow-up Kuvo that Rav Moshe wrote on this topic. In the Kuvo we saw in last, last show, 171, the immediate next Kuvo, where he deals with artificial insemination of using another man's semen. He revisits this whole issue of procuring the semen, and he says the following. How are we supposed to procure the semen if not through masturbation? You know, doing it through just having sexual thoughts and that leading to ejaculation, Rav Moshe says, that's, most people can't do that. Most people, will, men will not be able to ejaculate without any sense of stimulation. And using the bread, he says, we don't know how to do this, how to do this properly. And therefore, he repeats the idea that you do it through a medical condom or through withdrawing and ejaculation into a jar. I only mention that tshuva because in a tshuva really written in the same year, in Ebenezer 2.18, August 1961, he deals with the issue as well, and we're going to look at some other at some other important points that come up, but regarding procuring the semen, he says, here's what you have to do. We don't know how to do this thing with the uh, barley bread, so do what Abayi said. You will be here or be ishto. Now, you don't have to have sexual thoughts about another woman. Have sexual thoughts about your own wife. Kimosha wrote to Livola, think about having sex with your wife. And, you know, and you could even be looking at your wife at this time to generate sexual stimulation. And then he says that will lead a person to have an erection without having to masturbate and will allow him to ejaculate. And now Rav Moshe says, For some people, that won't be enough to get them to the point of ejaculation. Most people, most men just 
sufficient sexual thoughts can lead to ejaculation. Especially in our days. What does he mean, especially in our days? Because actually the Gemara itself pushed back on this suggestion and said, not everybody is Barzilai HaGiladi, which in the Talmudic mindset was this person who was totally corrupt and uh, had sex all the time and says, you know, no people aren't like him that just through sexual thoughts they can ejaculate. So the Gemara sort of assumes that the more people are open to a sort of sexual thoughts, the easier it is to lead to ejaculation. And he felt that in our time we're exposed more to these types of stimulants. Anyway, fascinating that association. But what's really fascinating is that Rav Moshe thinks that it's possible that most people just through sexual thoughts can, men I should say, through sexual thoughts can lead to ejaculation, even though in another tshuva he clearly recognized that that was not the case. Two other points that are relevant for this discussion of using the husband semen both come up in this tshuva. One is the issue of nida, and the other is the issue of pruravu. Let's deal with pruravu first, because that is more directly connected. Does the husband fulfill the mitzvah of pruravu when it is not through an act of intercourse? And it's important to note that when the semen comes from another man or a non-Jew, um, the husband does not fulfill the mitzvah. And therefore, Rav Moshe never had pruravu as a factor in permitting having another child or having a child when it was another man's semen. But with the husband, would this be a fulfillment of the mitzvah of Pruervu? Rav Moshe says he definitely does fulfill the mitzvah of Pruervu. He definitely fulfills the mitzvah. It's the husband's semen. It was given for the sake of his wife to become pregnant. Even though it did not have an act of intercourse, he fulfills the mitzvah of Pruervu. Now, Rav Moshe says there is a discussion about that case that you might remember from last episode where a woman is not supposed to lie down on a sheet that another man was on because it might have his dried semen on and she might become pregnant. And the postkim discussed if that did happen, again, I don't know if it's possible to happen, but anyway, if the man whose semen is was would fulfill the mitzvah of Purvu. Rav Moshe says, but regardless of how you come out in that discussion, that is different from our case. There, those two acts are unrelated. The man ejaculates, not relating to this woman, not with trying to uh, have his semen go into this woman. And then the woman lies on the sheet having nothing to do with this man, not even aware that the semen is there. In this case, where it's all part of the process of the man giving his semen for the woman to become pregnant, Rav Moshe says everybody would agree that he fulfills the mitzvah of Pruervu, even though it was not through an act of intercourse. He says in this case, Sheyode Bekan would agree in this case, When it was done with that intent, that's considered the husband's act, and therefore he does fulfill the mitzvah. Now, in a fascinating way, Rav Moshe then goes on to discuss how much is the mitzvah pruervu the end result of having children, and then you could say it's his biological child, which would allow for arguing he fulfills the mitzvah, or how much is it the act of intercourse with that goal, and Rav Moshe comes down on the side that it's the act of intercourse with that goal. And therefore, one could have said, well, this isn't an act of intercourse. And Rav Moshe never goes back and connects the dots. It seems he's saying that this is, although not an act of intercourse, enough of an act. So even though classically it is defined as the act of intercourse, not the having of children, but the act of intercourse with that goal, this is also an act with that goal, and therefore um, it is the mitzvah purvu. In this tshuva, he also deals with a fascinating case, which even happens today, about a desire to use artificial insemination, not because there's some problem um, with the man's, uh, the motility, mobility of the man's sperm and getting it to the egg, but because 
uh, the woman's fertility period occurs when she is anida. And a way you can solve this is, well, you get the husband's semen. It's inserted in the woman while she's anida, so there's no forbidden act of sex, but it's during her fertile period, and she becomes pregnant. Some people even do this at home with, like, a turkey baster, something you could even do without a doctor's office. I don't know if that's as effective. So Rav Moshe deals with this question. That was the case. And first, he says, in passing, even though this wasn't even asked, what about dropping Chumr de Rebizera, the seven clean days, and going to the mikvah just after seven days from the onset of bleeding and doing the biblical nida, not the rabbinic? Would that be permissible? And Rav Moshe says the following, If the question were, can they have sex by just keeping the doraita? Now, that was not the question, so it's fascinating that Rav Moshe chooses to introduce it. And he says, You know what? There is, that is a discussion worth having. As a practical matter, we should not permit it. And I don't want to talk about it in writing. And if we ever bump into one another, then we can talk about it to, to clarify it theoretically, not practically. So a lot of very uh, tantalizing little things that Rav Moshe puts out there. He says, there's a, it's a legitimate discussion. I don't want to write about it. It sounds like he feels that there's a good argument to say it's permissible, but he doesn't want to make that public. I'll talk about it in private. We'll do it theoretically, not practically. Even saying ein lahatir is not the same as saying that it's forbidden. It's saying we can't come out and say that it's permissible or we can't give a clear ruling that it's permissible. So that one sentence that Rav Moshe didn't even have to have in this tshuva is fascinating that he signals the possibility that that might be worth talking about is dropping Chumid Rabbi Zera for the sake of fertility. But in terms of this case, he says that We're not talking about that. And the question is, should the woman go to the mikvah after the biblical period and then do the semen and then do the art, uh, use the husband's semen, which will have the benefit that she won't be a nido when she conceives? Or should we say, look, it doesn't matter. They're not having intercourse anyway, so you don't have to go to the mikvah early, and it doesn't matter that she's a nido. They're not having intercourse. And Rav Moshe, not surprisingly from what we saw last episode, comes down on the second side. He says... Halachically, there's no, nothing prohibited. There's no act of intercourse. So the idea of a woman conceiving while she is a nida doesn't matter. That's not a halachic problem. The only problem is the act of intercourse. So where some people might say, oh my God, there's a spiritual problem with conceiving when the woman is a nida, like there's a spiritual problem with using another man's semen, Rav Moshe here is purely halachic and says there's absolutely no problem with that. And not only is there no problem, you shouldn't have her go to the mikvah early because if she goes to the mikvah early to not be a nida, they'll think that they can have sex during that time and that actually will be a stringency that leads to a leniency. So again, a very relevant case of using the husband's semen when the woman, her fertility period is during the Shiva Nikiyim. Rav Moshe again showing how he really approaches this only through a halachic lens and not through uh, these other lenses and that allows him to be uh, quite lenient. Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out yctorah.org to learn more.